0: Yeah, so hello and welcome back to everyone. Uh, This is the Let's Talk Singing podcast. Uh, Some of you might be watching the YouTube right now. Uh, The YouTube. God, I don't think I've ever said the YouTube. (laughs) I sound like my mum. Or listening on Spotify or iTunes or whichever. Um, I'd like to welcome my next guest, um, who is Duncan Rock. And yeah, (laughs) So uh, I'm so delighted to have you, Duncan. Um, I followed you for uh, a while and was also turned on to you from a a, a very respectful uh, person that I think we both know, um, or at least I know she knows you, which is Gemma Sugru. Of course. Yeah, she dropped your name and it hit the ground and I was like, yes, super. She said, go and check him out. So I did. And uh, I've loved what you've been putting out there. Um, So, Duncan, I'm just going to give a little introduction for anyone that uh, doesn't know you. Um, So, Duncan is a resident nutritionist at the Voice Care Centre of London, or in London, Um, and also he is a member of the Royal Society for Public Health. He holds a postgraduate certificate in human nutrition, an advanced diploma in nutrition and weight management, and is also working towards a master's degree, Duncan, in nutritional science.
1: I am proud to say I am three weeks away from Woo! a very long journey of doing a master's degree while traveling the world. A lot of early mornings to make lectures, a lot of late nights to finish assignments. Sometimes imagine. after performances, Oof. and also while raising a, my first uh, child. So it's, it's oh my god! As much as I've, I've enjoyed it, I'm very happy to be. Uh, Coming to the, to the end. <laughs> yeah, to see the of back this of
0: it. Year. I can imagine. I mean, yeah, t- doing a master's degree anyway, is it's such a huge undertaking. But doing it with all of those things, as you just said, uh, is, uh, yeah, adding quite a, a, a load. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. um, OK, so it's great. So you're three weeks away from finishing your master's degree in, in nutritional science um, from Deakin University in Melbourne.
1: Yeah. That's right. Yes. Cool.
0: Right. So you're originally from Melbourne?
1: No. I grew up in Perth. In Heard, Western Australia. Yes. I'm, I'm actually, I'm originally from Edinburgh. Um,
0: ah, right. Okay.
1: Yeah. But we moved to Australia. My father's English. My mom's from Brazil. Um, wow. We moved to Australia when I was very young uh, for my father's work. He's a, geolog- a geologist and there's a big mining industry in West Australia. And I did all of my schooling there, my, uh, my primary school, high school, and then my first studies in Australia. Which was law, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is, that's the real outlier, because yeah. that's the, <laughs> the one thing that I really don't use, apart from pretending I'm, you know, good at forming arguments once more. Um, <laughs> Which is but, a nice thing to have in your bag. Yeah, yeah I mean, to honest, nice. I, you know, I, I went to law school so young, I was 17, and I was almost sort of convinced to go. Um, it, I didn't have a passion for it, but, you know, I sort of did well in high school, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So someone said, you know, sort of, why go to law school? You know, why not? Um but uh, I quickly discovered music um, and then was fortunate enough to win a scholarship to come to the UK to do a master's in music uh, at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama. Um, and I jumped, jumped at the opportunity. And that was, gosh, that was way back in 2007. Wow. And that uh, sort of haven't looked back.
0: And was it was it only at that point um, when you were studying law that you got the, the music book or had you been already previously engaged with music?
1: Um, I, you know I, I actually I played in a jazz band in high school oh, I played bass um nice. well not well but, uh, you, know, <laughs> a bit of but you know I got a grant so you know and you had to read music and you know as a singer you you'll know this it's sort of like you know you know I really know I can't dance you know mm-hmm. to save my life but I know I I knew I could sing even though I hadn't had a singing lesson you know there's mm-hmm. there is a certain innate ability when I sang people went oh that's that's quite nice so no it certainly wasn't out of out of nowhere Mm -hmm. Um, you know as a boy I sang a little bit in you know the church choir and and things like that Um, but uh, in terms of this journey of this very niche element of of the singing world you know singing particularly opera that did come a bit later in life for me you know I was already well into my 20s.
0: Mm. And so the scholarship to, to study at Guildhall then what age were you when you took when you got that scholarship?
1: I was it was 2007
0: so I was 23. Wow super super age to get over back over to England and study and that was that was a study a master's or a bachelor's?
1: A master's a master's master's, super yeah so I was at the Guildhall for two and a half years Um, it would have been three but I actually left a little bit early because I I got offered a a really cool contract at the Glyndebourne Opera House Wow. Okay. Um, so I said thank you very much and I went to Glyndebourne and then got an agent through that and then I've sort of been been working since. Super
0: and so you are uh, you're, you're you're you studied and you sing as a baritone correct? Correct. Okay and was it always baritone was it always that you th- did you always like the baritone sound uh did you was it innate was it like a natural thing to go down the baritone route or did you try your hand at some tenorish stuff?
1: I had such a, I'll tell you a funny story. I had such a complex about Mm. being a baritone. Maybe I still do. You know, being a baritone is like being the middle child of the opera world. You can't sing high, you can't sing low, you know. Um, So you have to do a few backflips or something to get noticed. But (laughs) it's, I didn't, such was sort of my ignorance. I didn't quite recognize the different, in the opera world, I didn't quite realize the the, what the different farks were, the different voice types were. And uh, this is in the very early days. Um, and I, I, in my mind, there was this association with a ranking system. Mm. Um, so, I, you know, Pavarotti was the best singer. This is, this is, you know, my thoughts back then, you know, 15 years That's ago. Um, <laughs> and and he was a tenor. So I thought tenor sort of meant you were the best. And then baritone mm-hmm. was second best. And, uh, but, you know, I, I what really got me uh, loving the baritone voice were finding recordings of the Welsh baritone, bass baritone, Bryn Tafel, Ooh. Um singing Schubert songs, Schumann, English songs, and then, you know, opera arias. And just, it, it really made me recognise the capacity that the lower male voices have for incredible colour, beauty, warmth. Um yes we might not have those as many ringing spectacular high notes but you know there's a lot else to uh to explore
0: Mm. I love that I mean I think it's so it's so common to have that complex though I think especially as as also female singers have that as well with the soprano and and mezzo even (laughs) between those but also I think that it's really it's 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 something I grew up in musical theater as well, and it was quite like that in a sense of having the, the always the lead male roles were always these guys that were quasi tenors or at least high singing voices. And you always thought those are the best roles. So me being a baritone was always like yourself in kind of this middle section of kind of going, maybe play the character roles, maybe play the funny role and the mm. scene happens. Yeah, it's
1: uh, it's quite a superficial way of looking at things. Yeah, for sure. You know, oh, the highest note is the most interesting note. You know, we, it, you know, you can you get over that quite quickly when you, mm. you know, really yeah. learn music.
0: For sure, and actually, uh, I saw um, I can't pronounce the second, but Bryn Bryn Tefel.
1: Do you know what? I'm probably saying it wrong? Uh, it's obviously a Welsh name, yeah. but it, it, I think the common way of saying it in English is Bryn Tevel. Brint um, but I think okay. if you said it properly in Welsh, it would sound different to that. Sorry, okay,
0: probably like a Roald or a Tarfel or something. Yeah, like that. it probably right. sounds a lot better when it yeah. was. <laughs> but I actually, I, I came across him. I think it was the the um, was it the Sweeney Todd when he did Sweeney Todd uh, recently. I feel that was only a couple of years ago. I think
1: with uh, with Emma Thompson.
0: With Emma Thompson, yeah,
1: one of the best. I saw it in London at the Coliseum. It's one of the best things I ever saw. Wow, in I my can life, imagine. yeah.
0: I can imagine and completely see that that could be the case. I mean, even seeing it on the screen, listening to it with headphones, it's still such a phenomenon. Um, and he, as a, as a baritone, um, is just so powerful. And I love, as you said, to bring the, having to find the different colors in a baritone range, um, that we don't have these top uh, ringing notes that are the, the wow things that people stand up and go, bravissimo, and all that stuff. But yet you have this, this chance, I guess, to maybe bring some, I don't know, maybe relatability or some sort of, um, I don't know, connection to emotion that might get then audiences, you know, just as much involved as they would with the high notes maybe. Sure. I mean, you know, I,
1: I certainly, um, you know, tenor voices are great too, you know, mm, and sure. a, a wonderful top C is that. Hey, is that a, is that a cheeky whiskey? I, uh,
0: I wish it were. I really do. <laughs> but, but, apple
1: it's, but it's apple juice.
0: That's <laughs> what you thought, man. No. I know. I was genuine. This is me going against my Irish roots right now. It's it's a whiskey glass, and I've I've been filling it up with Bushmills for the last four weeks, I think. Okay. And uh, I keep using the glass because I'm just used to using the glass now, and now it's filled with apple juice. But
1: uh... <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it certainly. For me, the the richness and the warmth of the lower, mm. uh, the lower tones of the voice is, is very attractive, actually. Mm.
0: And so maybe we can talk, we can we can unpack a small bit about this uh, this topic of of um, which is a really hot topic and also a very interesting one, and I'm sure you have lots to say about it. Um, but my first question that I sent you also is that. Um, is there a certain? I mean, we we're talking about baritone. Let's stay with the baritone tenor range in classical music for a moment. Sure. Um, um, comparing, let's say, I don't know, um, body types, body like weight, like mass, because you're a nutritionist and you work with with um, uh, with uh, voice users, um, and that's really when I was turned on to you about all of that stuff. And so with let's take tenor for a moment is there a certain type of body weight or body mass or or body that can allow a tenor to or allows a tenor to achieve the optimal vocal function of his voice
1: yeah um you you can somewhat predict a voice type from physicality it's not particularly accurate but for example you know the basses Tend to have a sort of that sort of pipe physicality. So they tend to be taller, slimmer. And this is quite a crude sort of analysis, but you know, the longer the vocal cords, the deeper oh. your voice is likely to be. Mm. Um, and so a longer neck um, tends to signify a deeper voice. Of course, it's not always the case. Um, there are certain features that tend to be associated with. Um, uh, I guess a, a capacity for particularly that operatic projection tends to relate to a, a, a slightly larger than average size head for the resonating mm. cavities. And uh, similarly, uh, a chest cavity of a certain size. And and also um, there is evidence to suggest that over time, these things will actually develop sort of like a weightlifter, you know, who mm. lifts weights and, and makes their muscles bigger over time, the act of singing, when I say this, I'm really talking about the operatic style, is it a certain physical effort? Um, they can change the body over time. It can um, thicken the neck, uh, make the, the rib cage expand over time through development of the musculature and so forth. Um, but I suspect when you ask about mass, perhaps you're sort of trying to touch on the idea of sort of being overweight and if there's any relationship with with body weight specifically or, or fat mass and, and singing capacity is that is that sort of accurate
0: i think so i think that's mostly the conversation seen as pavarotti has been such a staple tenor type that people then say ah that is what you need to be and need yeah. to look like to have uh, the tenor voice
1: yeah. yeah um look to to be honest um not to disappoint the listeners but when it comes to singing the the i this sort of relationship with weight is pretty boring um, like every other physiological process <laughs> being of a within that healthier weight range is better that's the answer um, the reason and we can get into the specific the specifics of that but um, the reason I get asked it all the time is you've touched on it already this sort of cultural attachment to this idea that, you know, you need to be overweight or to sing opera particularly, you know, because of the the icon of the, the opera lady wearing the Vicon, Viking yeah. horn <laughs> or Pavarotti, you know, the, the sort of main icon of the opera world. Um, and the scientific answer um, is that certainly, be, obviously, being overweight that's to say to have more uh to to have high levels of of fat tissue obviously won't stop you from being a phenomenal singer in many cases we see the examples of it but there is pretty solid evidence to indicate that on mass you know for for the most part people who are above a certain let's call it bmi a certain healthy weight range or below a certain bmi below a certain weight healthy weight range uh do experience vocal disadvantage um of a general sense there are sort of there aren't too many studies on opera singers because at the end of the day if you went to try and get funding for hey i want to know if it's good to be overweight just for opera singers you wouldn't get any funding because it's too niche but Mm. there are um studies that uh, test the effect of being overweight and underweight on just general vocal quality. And the this, this general indication is that it puts you in a vocally disadvantaged state. Now, mm. specifically relating to singers or singing, there are two issues that come up quite prominently. The first is uh, with regards to reflux, um, it seems the more we learn about reflux, the number one contributing factor does seem to be excess central adiposity. So the that ex, the fat around the midsection tends to be the number one factor for exacerbating reflux symptoms. So obviously as a singer, that's not a good thing. Mm. Um, and then more of a practical issue, but immune functioning. Um, as we know even more now because of the relationship between overweight and obesity and and COVID, um, people past a certain, you know, above a certain healthy weight range do experience quite acute um, decreases in immune functioning, um, which obviously is not ideal for, for singing either. Um, So, you know, you know, sort of like it or loathe it, that is what the research tells us. Now, I always feel, um compelled at this point to you know highlight that obviously someone's body weight in no way shape or form relates to their value or skill as an artist there is no relationship between these two things um and you know there is a, there can be a certain superficiality um that creeps into any performance art um you know even even the world of opera and, you know, I, I think this is suboptimal, but in terms of what does the research tell us, um, you know, like everything else, you're better off being in that healthy weight range. Sure.
0: Yeah. It's really interesting. I mean, I think it's, um, as you said, the reflux and also the immune, um, uh, for, for when you're overweight, but it also, it has the, the same then if, if a person then is underweight, let's say, or is mal or malnourished, or no, not so much
1: the reflux. So I'm just going to move mm. my computer yeah, sure. into. Um, uh, not so much the reflux. That tends to be quite specifically linked to, as I mentioned, that central adiposity. But um, in terms of underweight. Uh, the issues that would sort of map onto a singer tend to be things like energy levels, mm. um, hormonal imbalances. Obviously, you know, we, we think about adipose tissue, fat tissue, as this thing that sort of sits there waiting to be used uh, in circumstances of energy deficit, but actually, you know, fat tissue is a metabolically and hormonally very active tissue. It secretes hormones and, you know, impacts physiological processes. So, this is another thing, um, you know. I, I mentioned just, just before that superficiality element. Mm. Um, this is often why singers who, for whatever reason, get put on a crash diet. You know, somebody tells them they need to lose weight or something. They lose weight very quickly, and it affects their vocal quality. Mm. Um, this is not advisable because it, it, it that massive a change in either direction—weight loss or weight gain will affect uh, your physiology and, and it will take some time for you to sort of um, get back to baseline in terms of, of how you're, you're feeling uh, mm-hmm. in your body.
0: Mm. Yeah, and as, as you said, in the sense that those fatty um, tissues are the ones that are waiting to excrete the energy, which means that if you are malnourished or, or, or and as you said, uh, um um to to not to to when you when you do go on a crash diet as you said also and then you have to then adapt your vocal cords or your muscles have to then adapt to this way in which where they get the energy from right
1: yeah yeah i mean you know the the issues that relate to singing culturally it there there aren't too many opera singers that i've met uh, and, and I would venture too many opera singers kicking about whose issue tends to relate to, to underweight. Mm-hmm. Um, so okay. the, the issue generally we're dealing with is the other end of the spectrum, overweight and, and obesity. Um, sure. But yes, it, you know, it, it, obviously being underweight will, will likely be suboptimal for, sure. for a people.
0: And as you clearly said as well, when you, when you began is that in, in most cases for anything, the most optimal is to be at a healthy weight with a healthy diet and for, for any sort of activity that you do, whether it be singing or whether it be jogging or whether it be um, working at an office, it's much better for energy levels and for, for, for mental state and everything, I guess.
1: Yeah. And these, and these sort of, sort of weird cultural um, niches uh, that have a sort of a a different relationship with body weight, opera being one of them. They do exist. I mean, one of my guilty pleasures is the sport of strongman. Um, (laughs) You know, you see sometimes on Christmas day, those guys who are pulling trucks or lifting cars above their heads and stuff. I actually, I've I've done it myself. There's a a gym in London I used to train at. There's a strongman gym. It's it's a wonderful sport. And even they, you know, there was this huge, same as with opera, this idea that in order to be a strongman, you have to have a big belly and Mm you know, obviously they're big guys, but the last two or three winners of the World's Strongest Man all have six packs. You know, they, they recognize, yes, they need that size and muscular strength, but the, the adipose tissue past a certain point is, is just, it slows them down and it, it makes them less healthy. Um, mm, mm. It, it's really that simple. But, you know, it, it's really important to impress, We you know, we, we keep on talking about, well, that healthy weight. Um, obviously this is a range, that varies both intra and inter-individual. So inter-individual, the healthy weight range for me is likely slightly different to the healthy weight range for you. And then also intra within the individual. So, you know, my wife gave birth to our daughter six months months ago. Her post-pregnancy healthy body weight range is likely somewhat different to her pre-pregnancy pregnancy, body weight rate, healthy body weight range. And that's absolutely normal. And that's absolutely fine. So this isn't a draconian measure of you must weigh X to be healthy. It's, it's a pretty significant, uh, range that allows for quite a lot of variability.
0: Right. Yeah. And so, and also, I think it's, as you mentioned before, it's this, this cultural stigma as well. I mean, even for, for, uh, quite a crass, um, example, uh, Something more recent, I guess, and also in the pop world was was Adele, and Adele's movement for from from hefty, bigger woman to now quite a slimmer woman. There was it was so I I really hated the the media and how they portrayed it and how they they were they, they the big question was uh, but we're so or not question but the big moment was oh we're so glad that her voice hasn't changed.
1: Sure, you know? sure, um, I did. I won't lie. I, I did hear about that. I tend not to these days pay attention to like what if what people are getting angry at on Twitter, sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, particularly if it's something to do with like celebrity weight loss. But um, okay. it, I understand that her she's just as wonderful now as she was before. But you know, once again, to not to harp on about it, but her value as an artist hasn't increased or decreased. Right. She's just likely probably a bit healthier and. Mm and will likely stay so for longer. This is what the evidence tells us.
0: Right, that's a good point as well, yeah. Okay, interesting. So um, what about talking a small bit about caffeine? Because I, as a singer, and, and many singers, most singers I know are all coffee drinkers. <laughs> uh, whether, it be, um, whether it be black coffee, or whether it be a coffee with milk, or whether it be just a quick coffee on the way to a practice or a rehearsal, whatever it is, or afterwards what is uh, because people there has been a talk about the way in which caffeine can maybe affect the voice in a strange and maybe not so um a positive way is that a true statement